Hello everyone and good evening. My name is Robert Buckingham and I'm Creative Director of M Pavilion. Um, we'd uh, like to welcome you this evening on behalf of M Pavilion and the Naomi Milgram Foundation uh, to this, our second M Talk, um, entitled From Mumbai to Melbourne, uh, the, the M Pavilion 2016 Design and Build Process. Um, I'd also like to acknowledge uh, the traditional owners and custodians on the la of the land on which we meet, the Boonarong people, and pay our respects to um, their elders past, present and into the future. Um, so tonight uh, is an opportunity to experience M Pavilion uh, with the people who made it possible. Uh, we have some ponchos. If anyone gets cold, uh, they're on the seats down here. We also have, <coughs> for everyone, a copy of Assemble Papers, which has an interview with the architect, B. Joy Jane. And we also have some of the process books, um, which are some of the, the working drawings and material that B. Joy prepared in the evolution of this building. Um, as I said, uh, I work with uh, Naomi Milgram on uh, this project. The architect, uh, as you know, M Pavilion is a temporary pavilion designed for the Queen Victoria each year. This is our third pavilion, the first one designed by uh, Sean Godsell of Sean Godsell Architects, the second one by Amanda Levite of ALA uh, from the UK, and then this one. After their temporary life, and they have to be designed uh, for a temporary life and a permanent life. So after its temporary life, it's then gifted to the city of Melbourne and relocated. Sean's is uh, now in the gardens of the Hellenic Museum and Amanda's is in the Docklands on the corner of Collins Street and Harbour Esplanade. So in terms of the choice of the architect, um, Naomi Milgram makes that choice. She commissions an architect and over the three years, there have been three very different architects and three very different buildings. Um, B. Joy was chosen um, because Naomi was keen to look at uh, an architect who had a different practice and a different style of working. Um, B. Joy's process is very much an evolutionary process, a collaborative process. He works with models, he works uh, with smaller models, then, re then builds larger and larger models, and part of the process is uh, um, the builders and the, and the people involved in the construction actually playing a role in the final design. Um, so, tonight, we're very uh, happy to have, uh, as I said, the people that, some of the people that made it possible. Firstly, Tony Isaacson from Kane Construction, Helen Wellman from Tract uh, Consulting, who did the landscaping, uh, also Sam Redston from Flot and Jet, who looked after um, technical matters for us, and also John Knoll from Arup. Um, so, maybe what we'll do is ask everyone to introduce themselves and tell us a little bit about their, their involvement. So, Tony. Oh, well, Tony Isaacson, I'm Managing Director of Kane, and I've been uh, Project Director of the three pavilions we've built. Kane have built all three for the uh, Foundation. I've been involved in all three um, in that role with the Project Manager, a Site Manager, and some other assistants within the office, and then subcontractors and so on, building it. And John? Um, John Noll, I'm a senior structural engineer with Arup, and we were the structural engineers on this year's pavilion, and also last year's pavilion. Um, uh, I guess our scope as structural engineers was to make sure that the, um, that the 
the building stood up. Um, so we framed, sized all the all the elements, um, worked in collaboration with the rest of the design team and the designers in Mumbai, um, from from the foundations up to the roof. Um, and didn't blow away. And, it, and it's. Um, it's been subjected to, to some pretty heavy winds over the last few days, so that's a validation in, in its own right. I think that uh, that we have a we have a structure. Helen, uh, I'm Helen Wellman. I'm a landscape architect with Tract Consultants, and last year we were involved in the pavilion in um, content, um, running some talks, and this year we're doing that. But we've also been involved in the design. We designed the stone flooring that it sits on and that it way that it meets the land around it. And I'm Sam Redston. I've worked with um, all three pavilions. I'm an event producer and have a background in event technology. And in the first instance, uh, our, our role was very much around uh, the event logistics. And after that first season, uh, I became more involved as a, a voice of the user group, I, I guess, in how the building would be designed. And each building has had a different uh, event technology that's had an opportunity to explore an aspect in collaboration with the architect. And so I've often uh, contributed that as we go through the build. So Tony, you've experienced yep. the three architects. Yep. Might be interesting to com contrast or compare um, Amanda uh, Levit last year, who was, uh, and then Bjoy. And I suppose the obvious difference is uh, materials. Uh, materials uh, and process. So I think that uh, materials is self-evident uh, for people that have seen photos of Amanda's um, carbon fibre solution and also Sean's steel and uh, acrylic uh, pavilion and perf metal, um, but also the process. So that, as you alluded to before, um, this is this is the, from our point of view, this is the least documented pavilion. Or at least refined in its in its documentation and most uh, that pr that process that you referred to that's reflected in the in the process books of uh, B Joy having an idea and kind of that was about it for a while and and then we all went away and waited for what came next and he started building the idea in in India and we got photos of it and then I went over to India with uh, three of our guys and had a look at it and then we came back and. Then we got a um, we got another photo and and a, and a sketch. Still no architectural drawings of such. It, it had actually changed completely and kept evolving. And we we got a version of what's here now, built in Alibag um, across the water from Mumbai, that we went to visit. Um, and then we got two container loads of bamboo and some sketches. And we modelled the pavilion, I think, and got his approval of that. And then went to build it and. Along the way, Arabs started sort of, well, uh, in, in Mumbai, Arabs tested, or you, you, you want to explain the um, process of testing? Yeah, I'll, I'll just bounce on one thing you said, um, comparing the, or actually uh, Robert's question was comparing last year's process to this year's. Um, I, I can't talk to last year's process personally, but um, I know about it, in, in it from experience in the office. Um, and that process and that's how things are typically done in um, I'd say in, in the industry is for every iteration you get a either a model or drawings um, what was really interesting this year in, in, in the process is that you got a photo or 
a video of a, of a sculpture that they built in a, in a field in India, and that was your cue to, to, to progress the design. Um, and that's very unusual, and I guess that, that talks to the, um, the uniqueness of the, of the design process this year. I mean, sometimes I think we can all... It, it was slightly frustrating at, at certain points because Bijoy um, talked about um, in, in India there is a, a, a space between yes and no. And so often Bijoy would like to do something and then the next moment he didn't want to do something. So it was, for our purposes, in, it was quite a different experience for someone like Amanda and also for Sean, who had a very firm idea of exactly what uh, the building was going to look like, really from the December period. So we had um, probably at least six months to, 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 to make that work. And then, to some extent, with Amanda, you know, she had a vision for what the building was going to be like, this idea of a, uh, a tree canopy um, using um, high-tech materials. And then Arup, in that instance, found someone who could actually make it. Uh, but Amanda didn't really have a sense of how... Well, she had a sense of how it was going to be made, but she ha we had to find the people who would physically make it. Um, Bjoy's uh, approach was much more organic, much more, and I suppose he talks about this concept of law, which is the passing on of knowledge, um, and that's why Tony went to um, Mumbai to sort of have some of this knowledge passed on. But to some extent, there wasn't a lot of passing on of knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> but it's very much more an artistic approach rather than an engineering or an architectural approach where everything's documented down to the last nail and there's no room for misinterpretation. Oh. This is a very hands-on testing of the materials by trial and doing um, and learning iteratively along, yes. along the process. And indeed the shape, uh, the shape of the, the awning really came from some of the research Bijoy was doing um, in Alabad with the builders there um, and they were suggesting different approaches and what was I suppose what was interesting for us or I found interesting as an architect he was very open to that it wasn't so much his uh, you know he was quite open to those changes which took place because it became um, more manageable or it just seemed right in the circumstances um, maybe Tony, we could talk a little bit about the roofing because when Bijoy came here in July, he talked about uh, his concept of the roof being... Because uh, 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 he'd always talked about um, wattle and daub, hadn't he? Yeah, so we'd... Um, the intention of originally of this structure was that it would be fully... It would be plastered. And the idea was lime, lime plaster. In fact, it started with cow dung plaster and we spent the weekends collecting cow dung from one of our director's farms and we've got some samples which I, I should have brought tonight but we've still got some samples of some cow dung on what on the Australian version of um, the carvey panels that we would make up during the week and then Richard would bring some cow poo home and we'd spend the, uh, the, the, the Monday putting um, cow dung on and watching it shrink or stay and test it in water and then and from cow dung we uh, announced that it was going to be um, lime wash a lime render rather and and so we sort of started importing lime and we we made contact with um, um, a lime quarry down past Tralgan that was going to uh, get us some good rock lime because we weren't allowed to use quick lime or anything like that and we were mixing lime lime mixes and applying them to the panels and then um, um, uh, uh, Bjoy bought when he came out in July 
Mm -hmm. In July, he brought with him a Swedish uh, Mr. Lime was his name, or, <laughs> or Rudy Lime, I think. But um, so Rudy was a lime specialist that had done some work with um, B-Joy before, and we, we spent a week doing lime samples on the Carvey panels and getting, getting that worked out. And then I think on the night that B-Joy was due to fly out, we had a meeting in our office with um, everyone in the project team to sort of finalise the design of the lime panels. And I'd, I'd seen the lime panels in Alibag and also in Venice where uh, the B-Joy's pavilion was, and I'd, I'd visited that in uh, May. And um, anyway, Rudy stood up and we said, OK, let's go, we're going with lime, it's all right, we've got the form of it, and so we just, this, this with lime plaster. And then Rudy said, well, you know, it, uh, we won't let you put any um, accelerant or, or setting admix into it um, because it's got to be natural, natural. And B-Joy said, yes, yes, natural, natural. And then uh, Rudy said, well, that's uh, one year for it to dry. You know that, B-Joy. <laughs> and um, so on the way, just as they were leaving to catch the plane, we we were directed to delete the, the, the lime plaster. So kind of that was pretty late in the piece. Um, that that, that that decision was made and, and, and evolved. And I think that, fr from our point of view, the differences in the de documentation style, I wouldn't say the disrespect, but the lack of, lack of understanding of where their design would go program-wise was quite challenging. So, um, I mean, the pavilion, we, we, got, we got the building permit for the pavilion about an hour after the opening. <laughs> so, you know, and, and, and then, because the, really, you talked about doing a canvas roof from the very beginning, and then it was, I think, as as B Joy sort of waved goodbye, I think his his response was, "Well, we trust you." <laughs> so, Tony then found someone to do the canvas roof, and really, the result is um, B Joy was thrilled with the result. I mean, he saw the process, and he was part of that. But I think it also allowed him to have this sort of wonderful um, uh, filtering of light, which is evident in a lot of his buildings. Mm. One of the other things which we should talk about is obviously the engineering. Um, you know, when Bijoy was doing a lot of this construction in India, s many of the buildings that are built like this are just done as really sort of weekend pavilions. So they're done for weddings or they're done for celebrations. We, of course, had to deal with a building which had to stand up to um. conditions. <laughs> Yes, so technically a one in 500 year wind event, um, which we had on opening night. <laughs> <laughs> it felt like it. Um, so there's there's definitely um, there's definitely a whole story around the um, I don't know whether you call them cultural differences, but certainly the approach to um, to um, authority or, or who has to sign off your design and your 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 build, um, and maybe that talks to the. The, some of these temporary pavilions that you referred to, Robert, um, but certainly B Joy's approach and, and or his his attitude towards the um, the prototyping, and maybe we should say that the one of the premises of the of the project was to was to, to design through prototyping. So B Joy and his team set out, uh, found a field in Alibag and built one iteration, and then built another. And what you see here is iteration number I think 11 or 12. Um, so that was the that was the way we um, we collectively progressed the design, um, but from day one we we 
we, we were trying to be um, firm and, and get a, a point across that the fact that you build something in a field in India and it's not subjected necessarily to any particularly wind loads or it's just um, standing there on its own, under its own weight, is not a validation in itself. And that was a, um, that was a message that um, was hard to get across um, because the, I guess the, the, the culture of these pavilions that go up uh, a day or two um, and maybe a more relaxed approach to um, validation and certification meant that um, we were coming from different angles um, and there, there was a bit of, not miscommunication or mistrust, but it took a while for that relationship to get going. I think the other thing which was wonderful for um, the foundation was that we had collaborators or partners who were willing to go on that journey. Um, you know, at certain points you could imagine that a lot of engineering firms and a lot of building firms would indeed have said enough is enough, but neither Arab nor Kane did that. Um, they continued to try and do everything to make it possible. Um, do you want to, we also, Arup also used the resources of your international network. Do you want to maybe talk a little bit about that, John? So Arup, for those who are not familiar with the, um, with the name, we're an engineering practice. Um, and we operate here in Melbourne, but, but also globally. So I don't know how many offices we have, a, a large number. Um, so there's a network of, of um, experience that we can tap into. And we have a, a um, um, well, it's encouraged to, to pull um, or, or to tap into that experience. Um, and we have all sorts of tools that enable us to do that. So very quickly, when we, we knew that we were going to be dealing with material, um, we identified the key people in the, in the firm who know about bamboo. Um, and it turns out that we have probably the world expert in bamboo sitting in our London office. Um, and Mike Evans, uh, and this person is Sebastian Kaminsky. Um, Mike Evans is another person who got involved in the project, mainly because he's based in our Mumbai office and was close to Alibag and to the um, to Studio Mumbai, but also because he has experience in bamboo. Um, so we, we were able to pull that experience together, um, which meant that we weren't starting from from um, zero, we had we had some knowledge and expertise that we could tap into. Um, the the issue with bamboo is that there are there are no design codes, so you, you're very much in the dark as to how you proceed with your with designing with that material. Um, there are some standards that tell you how you should test bamboo, and maybe we can talk about that um, in, in a second. But you, um, yeah, it it is you, you're very much back to first principles. So having that expertise and knowledge that we could tap into was was quite valuable. Um, and the other thing that, that enabled us to do is to send um, design iterations or sketches, drawings to those people for review. Um, when you're dealing with things that are a little bit out of the ordinary, such as this, it's good to have um, fresh pair of eyes review what you're doing. And the pegging that you did, I mean, a lot of, a lot of the engineering was also done um, on site, wasn't it? Because we were originally, the plan sort of, Tony, was that we were going to construct some of it in India and then bring parts of it. Yeah, I think it, I think at one stage we thought we'd be bringing a pavilion from from India, Ooh. and we would you know we would be putting assembled pieces that we would just bolt together on site here. So um, when it arrived, so that was that was I think the the, the initial thought of, of of both us and Studio Mumbai, and uh, perhaps the other thing are we are we allowed to sort of say how the 
joints work yes. in this. So, um, <laughs> the secrets. What, the secrets. <laughs> so, um, I suppose the, the number one confession is that the uh, rope is decorative. And that was a huge compromise for us and we blame Arabs totally for that <laughs> mistake. Um, we had a different view of how to build the structure somewhere between Studio Mumbai and Arab, um, and based on the Hong Kong scaffold code. Um, but um, we would have lashed it, we would have liked to have seen it lashed together structurally, but it, it just, it couldn't be made to work and it certainly wouldn't have stood up too well in the, as a structure as opposed to perhaps a scaffold in the winds that we've encountered recently. But um, so what we've got here is, is a, f a footing grid under here that's permanent that we put in three years ago that's either available to use or to adapt for each pavilion. Um, and it's a two-way grid at 2.4 metre centres, which um, last year uh, Amanda d just ignored it and we put a, um, a structural steel transfer grid in between it and, and her columns. But in this case, we sort of landed most of um, this structure on, although it's, it's slightly bigger this year, so we've, we've put in some extra pads. Um, we've got steel shoes under each column that connect up into side the column. Um, each each column connection, including the roof, is grouted. Um, no, I think. no, no. So, so maybe, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> um, so actually, I'll, perhaps I'll, it should I'll, have been. I'll, I'll just um, a, a few words around the um, um, the lashing. Um, it, it's true that it's mainly decorative, although it, it does have a, a purpose, um, and that is to provide redundancy to the to the connection. So if um, the connection was to fail, um, if you didn't have the lashing, then there's no other mechanism than the, the timber pin or the steel pin that's connecting the elements together to hold that um, to hold that in place, whereas the lashing gives you that extra redundancy. So um, it is decorative, but it also it, th there is a purpose there. Um, and the reason that purpose isn't, or, or the reason the lashing itself isn't doing all the work, um, is mainly down to the, the complexity of justifying that in the time frame that we had and getting that past the, the validation authorities here. Um, it was just a hurdle that we couldn't, we, we, we didn't have time and couldn't afford to do. Um, and we did try. Um, I think that for most of the connections where there are steel bolts, we've grouted. So we've drilled out the Bamboo. So and, yeah, so, so there's a there's a hierarchy in the um, in, in the connections that follows the um, if you like the the structural demand on, on the joints. Um, so there are connections that are simply um, pegged with a with a hardwood dowel. Um, so two or three or four bits of bamboo that are essentially um, pegged together um, with uh, Tasmanian oak and lashed, and that's your. That's your entry-level connection, if you like. Um, where we needed a bit more capacity out of the connection, and we found through a series of physical tests that we carried out on the material and the joints, where we found that the, um, the pegs weren't strong enough, we replaced them with, or we introduced steel um, pins or bolts. So there are a number of connections in the roof that are bolted rather than um, hardwood pinned. Um, so that's your connection number two. Connection number three is that same connection with grout, um, and that and that so so the um, bamboo is essentially hollow, hollow away from the nodes, um, and the the grout fills the uh, the internodal void, um, grabs the steel pin, 
and provides um, more redundancy and strength to that connection. So that's our connection number three. And then there's a fourth type of connection, which um, mainly happens around the, the base of the columns, which is where we've embedded a steel element within the bamboo, and that's uh, bolted and grouted. So there's that hierarchy of joints that follow the, if you like, the, um, the loads or the load part. Um, Helen, maybe we might talk about the idea of the pavilion in the park. Mm. Um, obviously, that's something which appeals to a landscape architect. It does indeed. And um, speaking of, you know, the collaborative and very site-responsive design that Studio Mumbai amplify, that's actually a very landscape approach to design um, in looking at a range of B. Joy Jane's buildings. They're, they're very serene, quiet buildings. They're very gentle buildings. He uses organic materials, predominantly stone and timber, um, and they relate very harmoniously with their landscape. So in that sense, he was a very logical choice to create a, a structure in a garden. Um, I was involved in designing the stone floor that the pavilion sits on and um, the stones that the tarsia, the portal over there, sit on. And I sort of think of this structure as a migratory bird and um, you know, the timber and the bamboo came from India, but the landing pad is definitely Melbourne. So, you know, you, you can read the geological history of a place in the stone that the cities use. So Brisbane's tuff and Sydney's sandstone. Well, Melbourne is definitely basalt. And um, these pieces are from Port Ferry, so there's Victorian basalt. And they're the offcuts from the stone that um, Melbourne City Council uses to pave the streetscape. So all those perfect oblongs, um, when they're broken, this is this is what's used, and um, that certainly appealed to B. Joy Jane. That um, sort of value adding of an otherwise fairly humble material, mm. um, and also having that local provenance and speaking of a place. And I think it was also, you know, uh, as far as tract were concerned, it was really nice. I mean, it is quite modest. It's quite frugal. It's not... I mean, you haven't... You've really worked with him to come up with a very simple mm. uh, design, something which, you know, there aren't a lot of, a lot of tricks or... No, uh, not at all. Not many materials, so mm. very sparse palette. And, um, and we should talk then a little bit about the, the, the belly button, mm. which is the gold... Um, well, or symbolic well, um, B. Joy was very keen to make the connection between uh, earth, um, water, and sky. So the oculus or square in the in the middle of the building is so you look up at the sky, and also that the 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 rain comes down into to the well. Originally, B. Joy was keen to have um, to to connect to the the water table. Uh, once again, that wasn't quite possible because we're built. This build, this site is a an old tip, and so the city of Melbourne won't allow us to to drill down through it. So therefore, the but the well is a symbol, a uh, symbolic of that. But it also catches the water. Um, Sam, let's talk a little bit about the space. I mean, obviously, 
with the foundation and Naomi's idea is that the building is a piece of architecture and to represent um, elements of what's going on in, in contemporary design. And this one represents very much that, that the movement of, of handmade or the, the feeling of, of handmade um, buildings. Um, but also, there was a, it has to be used for events like this. We also have performances, we have bands, we have music. And so it also becomes an event space or a, 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 a cultural laboratory. Mm. Um, so Sam works with us on, on lighting and sound to make that possible. Um, so maybe if, and, and talked with B-Joy through the process about how we'd integrate um, lighting into the, into the building. One of the um, most interesting aspects of that is uh, we have the benefit of working with uh, a leading uh, lighting designer in Melbourne who couldn't be here tonight, Ben Cobham from Blue Bottle Lighting. And uh, we uh, were looking at the structure as it evolved through several iterations of, of form about how it would be best architecturally lit. And B-Joy had sent us some uh, reference photographs from different fairgrounds and we felt we had a good sense of the sort of energy he wanted to bring into it. So when he came in July for a visit, we had an opportunity to sit with him and uh, present some, some uh, mood boards, essentially, some lighting concepts, and talk through whether we were on the right track. And we felt pretty confident that we were. And as Ben uh, laid out these ideas of how we would um, put lights all over the building, and they'd change colour, and they'd flash, and they'd be uh, pretty loud, and it would be a lot of fun. Um, and they'd, they'd express the shape of the building, they'd light the outside of the building, uh, quite quietly, B-Joy um, sort of moved away from that and started sketching very simple drawings and talking about how he really felt that it needed to be completely simple and it wasn't about lighting the building, that it's about the space that we create and we weren't to draw attention to the building itself. Uh, we were to think about the space itself. And if we have an event, then we can put anything we want in, from his point of view. And not all the architects have had that view. Some have been very prescriptive about how we work in the space, which can be challenging when you then have artists or bands or events going on. Um, Bijoy has no sensitivity to how we use the space, because it's obvious we're using the space, and then we'll go away, and we'll stop doing that in the space. So we can bring lighting equipment in, we can have cables up. He doesn't want us to hide it. He'd rather it was just expressed and put there. Um, it's clear what it's doing, and then it can go away. But when it came to the architectural lighting, we took a big step back and Ben read that message loud and clear. It was very interesting. They had a moment of communion where they both talked only about how uh, every piece of equipment should be very well considered, but absolutely anybody should be able to use it. And so the selection is very important, but it's not about being complicated. It might be a floodlight. Um, it might be just a light globe. And then looking at these other buildings, as you did, you start seeing where he's at with that, that a single light might be all it needs in that whole room. Um, and so they had that moment of communion and then they went in different ways and Ben, like the rest of us, was on a timeline, so he really had to then come up with a solution. And we had a lot of high technology in mind that we have actually realised with the Tartia to um, pull that forward as a feature at night and that um, each night, uh, studying, is it Wednesday? <laughs> Studying tonight, <laughs> we have, <laughs> we have uh, a, a ritual that will play just um, between uh, sunset and, and, and night, uh, twilight, um, to uh, explore that building and this building through uh, a, quite a gentle lighting sequence. But in the room, it was all about hiding the lighting infrastructure and uh, finding just the right tone of colour to pull out the features of the bamboo um, and to create uh, an indirect light that wasn't too intrusive 
and then um, spots of light, which actually aren't on right now, but after this will turn on, um, that cast little dots of light around the well and around the entrances to the space. So it was a, it, that tension between architecture and events was, uh, was uh, explored really thoroughly in this instance, where architecturally, it's super simple. And then for events, we have some really challenging demands. And so we did actually intrude on the design and in the space in that way, where ultimately the coffee machine needs electricity, needs water. Uh, we can cart the groundwater away, the, the, you know, the, um, what's it called? The, the waste. Yeah, the wastewater away. Um, we need a refrigerator. We need this sort of infrastructure. Um, and so this year we made um, mobile steel carts that are in a very simple um, uh, uh, commercial style that are completely flexible. So when an architect or an event user says, I need the space to be X, then that is, we're not beholden to that. In the past, we have actually had these items bolted down and then we've had to survive them. So something comes in and we have to work around this object. Well, this time we made them less intrusive in that we can take them away and we can put them in any corner of the room. So when we have an event, we've got massive power capacity, we've got data through the room, we've got water wherever we need it, and we've got an automated lighting control system, and we've got speakers in the floor. So we've got all those event capacities um, have been built in but as gently as possible to let the space be the space, not even the building, but the space. And I think now that we're here, I, 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 many of us have been expressing, I'm not sure you, your views, but um, that I feel like I finally get it, that all the way through the build, it was all about the building. And now we're here, it's actually all about the space. And the space is sublime. It's been very successful, very well received, and it's been beautiful to work in. And so, Tony, and. I suppose the wonderful thing about the project, of course, is each year um, it does get you into uh, a non-air-conditioned space, so you do experience Melbourne's weather. Um, you get to experience the garden, and it also has that uh, almost a calming effect, I think, when you come here, because you get that sense of being in amongst, amongst nature, um, which, um, Helen, not a lot of architects do. Or no. Architects have a tendency to enclose spaces, not bleed into the landscape that they're, they're sitting in. So. And as a city, we seem to be destroying or, or, or removing more gardens per day than ever before. We do, or at the very least, divorcing them from the ground plane and putting them on roofs. Yeah, <laughs> true, true. Yes, there are fewer opportunities to have um, you know, events like this in parks and so close to the CBD. Yeah. So it's, very, it's a very special commission, the M Pavilion. The other thing I suppose about B-Joy as an architect from a, an event perspective, because we do do a lot of events, um, he sort of also understood that. And part of the moving the Tarsier in his original plan, or the Tarsier, which was the tower piece here on the front, and the original plan it actually was going to be above the building, mm. wasn't it, Tony? And for it then morphed, it seemed, for some reason it didn't seem to, he wasn't so happy with that, and so it moved to the front um, in consultation with Naomi particularly, and she saw they, it then became more like a beacon or an entrance point or a portal so that it drew people to the building. Also, um, Bjoy was very interested in this notion of, you know, an evening lighting and, and sound commission, and so working with um, Blue Bottle on lighting the building at night, lighting the Tarsier at night, and also having a soundscape. So the soundscape, which we will play 
uh, I think from tomorrow night, um, is, is a combination of uh, working with uh, Indian musicians and also Australian musicians to create a soundscape. B-Joy also came up with the idea that each, well, I think actually it might have been Tony's idea, that each morning we should do a morning ritual or something to sort of celebrate the beginning of the day. And so Tony's suggestion was to add some gold leaf to the building, which B-Joy loved. And so then each morning at nine o'clock, um, we serve tea and then a small piece of gold leaf is added to the building. So you can see the gold leaf being added to this column in the centre. So it's sort of that's that, 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 that lovely feeling of the building evolving. And I think B-Joy also loved talking about the hand and the touch. And there's an element of so many people getting involved in the process. I mean, I know Tony had a, a bit of a struggle getting it finished because... Oh, no, sorry. Sorry. Yeah. No struggle. Not seven a, days a week. Yeah, well, for, only for four weeks. <laughs> seven days. Yeah. Um, one thing I was going to say, because I'm going to get off that topic of my program, um, <laughs> was that um, we, should, we should mention that in, the, in part of the collaboration was that... Um, one of the, 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 the senior architect from Studio Mumbai came out here for the whole of the, pretty much the whole of the construction. So I think he arrived about a week after the containers and spent six weeks with us um, here and, and, and camped, camped on site. Um, didn't didn't draw it, just reviewed our drawing of it. And um, but but it was it was it was really good um, to, uh, to to have someone on on site that did had done a lot of work with. Um, be joy before and could interpret it and understand it and it was pretty important um, I think to have that to help translate the ideas and um, I mean, there were a couple of other things that um, we did we we used whatsapp a lot or <laughs> Bjoy uses whatsapp a lot so we were getting um, live videos from Alibag of, of the guys building the pavilion and jumping up and down on their versions of the trusses and testing it and, and it, it actually it was sort of quite an interesting because it's probably sort of lower, lower tech than what we would use for collaborating and Aconex or, or whatever and, and, and it actually worked really well and, and the guys on site who, who really uh, were, were, I guess, for practical purposes illiterate, were able to sort of send live, e live footage and live photos in, in, in real time of how it was going. So uh, B-Joy would be in Venice and Matul was in... in in Mumbai and the guys were in Alabag, we were here, Arabs are everywhere apparently and um, we, um, we all sort of could keep up with it. So I think that was a, a sort of a, a slightly surprising use of the tool that worked really well in terms of the collaboration. And um, when you did, with some of the testing, you did testing, um, John, we had some testing here done of the joints, is that right, the joint system? So, um, so we ran a number of um, um, tests on both the material and the and the joints. Um, we we started by testing the material in Mumbai. Um, we commissioned a a local um, I think they're, they're a university and they have a, their own testing facility to, um, to to run some tests on the material. Um, when you're building with steel or concrete or even timber in this country, um, actually in any country around the world, but if, if, you, if you're using timber, um, the, the material for construction is generally graded, which means that you, you know what you're, what you're getting. Um, 
we're not quite there with bamboo, which means that you, you don't really know, other than the species and um, maybe the, the, um, the diameter of the, of the calm, um, the thickness, um, you don't really know what, what you're dealing with and what you're getting. And as an engineer, that's... Um, that, that's Terrifying. <laughs> it, 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 it is. Um, which means that we, so somehow we had to, to remedy that. Um, and, and the only way really is to, is to physically test the material. So we ran a number of tests in, in Mumbai, um, and they're very simple tests. And it, it was interesting that um, we also we, we almost had to invent the machinery and the, or the machine to do the testing um, because it, it was quite a low-tech approach. Um, but that in itself was, was interesting. Essentially, testing the material for its, um, its capacity axially and uh, in flexure and so on, so extracting um, a number of properties from the material itself. So that was done in Mumbai. Um, and we, we didn't need to know very much about the building itself to test the material. Um, but, what we, but to test the joints, we had to have an idea of what the, what the joint architecture was or how the, how the, how the joints were going to be put together. Um, and we, we, we spoke about the process, um, the, the prototyping and the, the design iterations. It took a long time to, to home in on what the connections were going to look like. Um, and by which time we, we were running out of time in Mumbai before the material is going to be shipped to Melbourne. So we decided to run a number of tests um, on, on, on typical or standard joints. Um, we weren't sure wh whether we were going to use those joints, so we, we designed the, the test and, and those um, generic joints so that they would tell us something about joining bits of bamboo together. Um, but in not quite in parallel, a, a little bit later, we also commissioned a testing facility here in Melbourne once we knew more about the, um, how the joints, the, the physically how we're going to put the bamboo together. Um, so we, we commissioned another bank of, of tests on the joints themselves. So all that fed into, um, into a, um, a pretty lengthy report, um, as one of you pointed out, was uh, submitted uh, a few days before we got, the, we got final approval. Um, but it, it, it's basically a, um, um, in, information on the, on the material and and once we knew how we were going to organize the material on how that was going to perform, um, because ev everything you see here is, is unique and bespoke. So we had to, as engineers, we had to um, satisfy ourselves that we knew what the material and what the joints were doing. Um, yeah, I'm just, uh, I guess we should point out that this is not common or garden bamboo. It, a fair bit of work, Studio Mumbai and their technical um, advisors in, in India spent a fair bit of time researching and selecting in bamboo and we've ended up with two, two, two different species of bamboo. So the larger diameter bamboo is of, of one species and is sourced from um, I think n North India and the um, smaller diameter which I guess is the uh, roof purlins and some of the smaller rafters is a, is a different species um, and, and was from a different part of from I think southwest. Um, of India, and so there was a there was a reasonable amount of research into selecting, you know, the, the best quality structural bamboo as opposed to whatever furniture grade or garden grade or whatever. The other the other thing, totally unrelated, is that the furniture is um, made by Studio Mumbai. Mm. So, um, so this was all sent out as well. Um, I'll s I'll ask question. I'll let you ask some questions shortly, but before I sort of ask everyone, I suppose what 
they learnt from the process. Um, one thing which also, uh, Tony, when you went in the original original thought was that we were going to use riggers to to build it because we felt that it wasn't something that traditional um, construction was a pro, you know, yeah. tra traditional builders could do. But in the end, you didn't do that, did you? In the end, we used half half the team was riggers, and half the team was carpenters and labourers, and the riggers were used because they were committed to it and it put a lot... Um, we used we used a particular rigging company that um, Sam introduced us to, so we, we started this. I mean, I started this by saying this is a this is a bamboo scaffold we're building, so who builds who builds scaffolds? It's scaffolders, and who who does bamboo? And it's people that could climb like monkeys. So that was my, my sort of starting point, and we, um, through Sam, we, we explored some riggers that um, used to do bamboo work that are based up at um, Mount Arapiles and love climbing and they weren't operating and so we got on to another guy that does a lot of event rigging and he came to uh, Mumbai with us and then he went back the second time um, on his own to understand it better and and he um, so he, he, we were sort of committed to him and we, we needed a essentially a workforce of committed people I, I mean a, apart from our site manager and one carpenter, the, the skill level is uh, of, of existing skills that you needed weren't that great. I mean, the, the skills that the people um, that built this have are the skills largely that they picked up while they were building it. So carpenters, in the end, bamboo became pretty much like working any other timber material. So carpenters proved to be pretty important and valuable in it and building a, you know, a timber frame structure, essentially. So, as you can see, a, a lot of work involved in trying to make it look relatively simple. So, Sam, um, what did uh, something you learnt from the process? Uh, I think uh, it was it was a surprise to get to the end of the process and think more about the space than the building, and uh, and that was so much more the case than the first two. Um, and also, uh, the process made more sense to me when Bijoy spoke publicly um, at. Melbourne University and he talked about um, the process of collaboration where like at a party when you're dancing in a circle and you clap when one of you goes into the middle to do a special extra move or a special dance and the rest of you all clap and encourage them on as they do that dance and then they'll jump up and join the circle again and that for him is a completely legitimate part of the building and in fact I think that's what we're describing is that at each point sometimes not always comfortably somebody will find themselves in the middle of the circle, dancing like crazy, <laughs> and that's fine, and the result is great. <laughs> Helen? Um, I guess for me the lesson is that this is the perfect forum for experimentation and doing mm. things that you don't know how to do and learning an incredible amount along the journey. The three pavilions have been extraordinarily different in their materials, in their form, um, they've all been able to function to be the home for the program of events. Um, but who knows what next year's will be. <laughs> <laughs> and John, a lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of work went into this and obviously a lot of toing and froing. But that was, Minara spend a lot of, invest a lot of time on research. So is this research that can be used for other projects? Uh, absolutely. Um, we... So, so this, this project internally was um, partly funded by our own university um, or research arm. Um, so they, they had interest or saw, saw potential and interest in, in the process. 
Um, so we, as part of that, we, we committed now to feed back that knowledge um, to w within our app, but, but also disseminate that. Um, and we need to figure out how we're going to do that. There's, a, there's an expert community out there of people who use bamboo within our app and outside. Um, in, in various places around the world, and we, we've we've gathered a lot of knowledge um, around the material and around how you how you connect um, the, the material together. Um, we haven't reinvented the wheel, by the way. We've also tapped into all sorts of um, traditional methods, and, and so we're sort of building on top of um, pre-existing knowledge. But there's definitely we've learned a lot, um, and. We feel that we can we can feed that back into the um, the pool of knowledge around around bamboo. Um, I'll, I'll I'll just say one more thing, which is it's not so much what we've learned, but it, it's an observation on the on, on the process. Um, we spoke about Carvey, we spoke about um, Sammy spoke about the the, the lighting. Um, there's, there's a narrative around pretty much ev everything or anything you see here, um, and the, and the surprise to me, and it and it came as a it was a late realization in in the process. That the the journey to be join his team and who got involved in that journey was actually the project as much as the end the end result. Um, and we all talk about the end result and how um, subjectively we may find it beautiful. And but the um, objectively the the people who got involved in the projects, um, whether it's our end here in in Melbourne. Um, all the people got involved in in Mumbai, um, from the very low-skilled laborers all the way up to um, B. Joy and, and his assistants. Um, th there's a real there was real value in that journey. Um, yeah. And Tony, oh, I think all of those things, and and the fact that this was like the other two pavilions. Um, we, we had lots of fun, I think, doing it along the way. So <laughs> we continue to do that and it makes it worthwhile, I think. <laughs> Great. So, why don't, if any, does, I was just wondering if anyone has any questions. Yes. Definitely, yes. I mean, so a place for bamboo, I think, basically the, the question, how, whether that works? Yeah, so the, the question is whether there's a place for, or whether, whether we think there's a place for bamboo um, in, in, in addition to your atypical um, bespoke installation, does bamboo have, a, have a, its proper place in the construction industry as a, um, as a bona fide construction material? Um, my answer is yes, um, but you have to qualify that. Um, for example, the, the fact that the, the material isn't graded or is difficult. Um, so currently, to use it, you have to jump through a number of, of hurdles, um, which mainly involve testing the material and testing the joints. Um, and it's interesting that bamboo as a material has um, doesn't really have a design code, so that there's an, a series of international standards. 
that um, very loosely define how you should go about designing bamboo, very loosely, but quite rigorously tells you how to test bamboo. And that tells you something about um, currently how things are organized to, to, for you as a designer to use bamboo. Um, but as a material, it's, it's, it's actually, um, it has a number of advantages. Um, it's cheap, it's um, quite versatile, it grows in a number of locations in, around the world and quite quickly. Um, you can, it takes anywhere from three to five years to, from, from, um, at, for, the, for the plant to mature, um, so from, from ground to crop, um, which is pretty pretty fast turnaround. Um, and structurally, it's, um, I can't remember what the, 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 the statistic is, but if you, um, if you look at the, it might be strength to weight, um, it's equivalent to steel, for example. Um, I'm not, Brendan, um, <laughs> Correct me if I'm wrong here, but but it, it's so it's it's a particularly interesting structural material, but you have to use it in a certain way. Um, it's it's not very good in shear or flexure, um, which is why you see some cross bracing in the structure here, for example. Um, we, so, yes, um, but I think we still have to qualify that at the moment. So. Um just curious, I have a question for John, uh, for Tony. When you were set with uh, some craftsmen in Mumbai studio, yeah, did they have some traditional way to work with bamboo, joint bamboo? No. Yeah, just curious because no, Joy always talk about like the traditional craftsmanship can pass on generation, but in this case, it's just like I, I don't, I, I don't, I think that. Uh, I don't think he talked about that in relation to bamboo. He's, he's, he's inclined to create myths if they don't exist already. Um, um, the people that were building this for him in, um, in Alibag were um, from Calcutta area and, from, um, and they were sort of traditional riggers. Um, so I, I guess traditional riggers and, and would be scaffolders in in India. So I mean, they, I think they had that sort of that that sort of skill would be building bamboo um, scaffolds uh, um, to some extent you know, as part of their trade. But I, I don't. I, I sort of think their their their, their skill levels probably reasonably limited. That'd be my view, and, and not certainly not sophisticated. And, and, and what, what Bijo was asking to do, they were very much like we were experimenting and working it out as they went. And, and Tony, then also with the roof structure, that was really, um, I think, Bijo, it's, it, it's called the carvey uh, plant. So it's yeah. like a, a reed, I think. Yeah, this is and just a sort of poor quality hardwood um, shrub that was growing and sort of cut, a bit like tea tree. A bit yeah, like tea tree. Equivalent to tea yeah. tree, really. And, and it's and it's it's lashed together with cheap twine mm. that won't last very well. So we're going to have to treat that for the for the. Um, I mean, it stood up to the wind, so it's not all that bad. I shouldn't be that rude about it, but um, it's um, it's not going to last for the reinstallation and the and the later life without us treating it somehow, which we're working on now. And it, and it was assembled by um, just village people in Alley Bag. So he, he just grew, he, um, Gave employment to the local villagers, and it was a, a group of. I, th I think um, Matul told me that this. That I saw them working on it and starting it, and they were doing the one for Venice. And then I think this one, 
this project, the, the stock for ours, which was pretty much one whole container load of, um, of, of panels, took 20 people, 25 days working uh, double shifts, you know, which is what, two 12 to 24 hours, eh? Two mm. shifts. So a lo lot of labour in that. And, and, and again, I don't think a lot of skills. I was just wondering, um, when the bamboo arrived in Melbourne, where was it on the scale between a pre-cut bamboo Meccano set and just a very vast array of different bamboo lengths that had to be all organised on site? Or, you know, where, which, where did it where, which was 10? Uh, we'll, we'll say 10 was the random bamboo lengths. Uh, it was an, about an eight and a half. Oh, OK. <laughs> it, 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 um, well, we, we, the quantities were... We, uh, they shipped the quantities needed for various elements and oversupplied and in, in sort of notional long lengths. So we, we'd ordered, or not ordered, we'd agreed that we'd supplied in as long a length as we needed and we knew we, knew we needed the largest diameter for the, for the columns and we knew how many columns there were and there was, what have we got, about 25% wastage in, in lengths and then in pieces and then pieces were over length. We've got, we got truckloads of offcuts if people want to... Can do you know make cups or beer make mugs or something out of bamboo? <laughs> so and Matul, Matul helped a bit with uh, selection, didn't it? Yeah. Uh, who was the project architect Through, when it arrived here? Yeah, yeah. There's quite a pro there's a process here as we we emptied the containers um, and, and and allocated it as it came out. And we said, oh, that's good. that's column stuff and that's that's good stuff for the trusses and 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 the purlins, obviously. So so we had we had it sort of apportioned by quantity. Quantity and lengths, and, and we knew, knew we wouldn't run out. Lots of questions. Thanks. I just have two quick questions. One was, how did you get the blackened bamboo over there? I'm assuming you didn't paint it, because it's not natural. Or? I wasn't around when that was built. So it I was originally it to be dyed with indigo. Uh, yeah. the, the plant indigo. Um, I'm uh, not sure if that eventuated or that no, was another was, change. I, I, that I think it's paint. Not occurred. burnt? Paint. Not burnt at all? No, it's, no. Not, it's not burnt. And, oh. and um, on the, the finish of the bamboo was one of the... Oh, was three or four of the 11 iterations of the design were, were through the finish of the bamboo. And we, we had... Uh, the indigo stain was the preferred solution uh, uh, design for quite a long time, so I guess that does reflect mm, because that Because it was concept. going to be and indigo for the Tarsier yeah, and, we'd, we'd and organized turmeric. A, yeah. we, we organised a friend of mine who's a French polisher to... I don't know how she would have got through the whole job <laughs> on her own or with our labourers, but she was going to do the indigo. And we'd, 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 in fact, we were out chasing whatever, tonnes or kilograms of, of indigo to start preparing some dyes. Um, then we moved across to shellac, and we were going to shellac the bamboo natural shellac and then somewhere along the line Bijoy decided doing nothing was the the right solution so it's, it's ended, ended up natural so I think that's a I, mean, I guess the, the paint is to emphasize the entrance portal and also to reflect the original design just also what's the coconut necklace for that that's the equivalent of um, a tree on the top of a in, in Australia, you know, when we construct a, build, a, a tall building, um, you put a pine tree on the top when you reach the top of the structure. And in India, you put um, a pair of uh, 
uh, uh, bamboo husk. So that was Bejoy's. Con well, I think it was our so contribution in respect to Bejoy, actually. So, so that's where. So you, so you get to a certain point and you hang it on the structure, but the um, there's a, a symbolism behind the the coconut itself. Um, where, and I, I don't know whether it's India wide or whether it's local to um, where Mithul and um, be joy from, but the there's a tradition where you break a coconut on site, um, typically on day one, but we actually waited to have a bit of bamboo. Um, you break a coconut and all the workers on site share the, um, the, the flesh um, for good luck. And then you hang that coconut somewhere in the, somewhere in the building. Um, I, I found the story, I guess, uh, interesting of the two, two worlds uh, coming together and um, particularly the, the temporary nature of the way that Bijoy works or, or imagines some of his structures. And I just wondered um, if there was any point in the design process um, given that the M Pavilion has a, a, a longer journey after this year, right? It has a, has a more permanent intention. Or was there any point in the process where it became just a, a conflict to look at this as a, as a more permanent construction? And is it a conflict now to think of it um, having a future after this? I, no, I don't, look, there was no point and there, ha and, the, and there won't be a point of conflict, I don't think. There's points of contradiction and there's points of tension in any in any sort of design and any working for architects and builders and so on. So I think that they um, that they'll get resolved. And we're we're now we've started to talk. But Joy and I and Robert met last week here and started to discuss uh, from my point of view how I'm going to move it and from. Um, Robert's point of view, how we're going to make it last 20 years, and from B Joy's, what's what's going to look like after we do what we have to do to make it last. So, there's some pretty pretty simple practical measures we can take. I mean, we've, we've proven that structurally it'll stand up for you know a thousand years, so we're not too worried about it structurally. So we just have to address in, in common sense, practical terms, how you how you preserve a, a timber structure, and. Um, I mean, it's it's well prepared. I mean, it, it, one of the things that you'll notice on at each node, every node has got two drill holes in it. And in India, before they ship the bamboo, they they've drilled um, every piece of bamboo at every node twice to to help the seasoning of it and to cure it to season it evenly and so on. So, um, enormous amount of work's gone prepare in preparation for that already. And um, We've got a little bit of research which we're talking to Arabs about in terms of durability at a sort of theoretical level, and then I think we're going to we've got a, you know the common sense issues. We've buried we've buried the bamboo in the ground or in, into the into the stone, which I think in the final in a, in a long-term solution is not the right solution. So we'll lift it up and give it a bit of clearance and put a shroud around it or something. We'll we'll have to address the roof just to protect it and and perhaps and the end grain of the bamboo and. Once we do that, it's, it'll be fine. Simple. Simple. <laughs> Simple. Simple. I mean, from the foundation's point of view, obviously it was Bjoy's job to design something that could be both permanent and temporary. Um, and so, and then his working with the builders and working with the engineers has made that possible. I think also because he describes the building very much as a framework, um, therefore the, in its next life, we deal with how the the roof will or how the roof will work, 
Um, we may use Canvas again. We've talked about maybe reinstating the idea of doing the lime, um, because it, but it takes a long time for it to dry. So that wasn't going to be possible in this instance, but it may be possible in its permanent home. But yeah, I mean, and, and also we rely very heavily on the engineers and the builders to help us in that process. I've got a question actually for you, Robert, and probably Naomi Milgram. Um, as, as a client for three of these now and three very different results from three very different architects, um, are you able to share some of, some of your approach as a, as a client in terms of intervention or being strict about the brief and have you learnt lessons on the way through the three and would, uh, would recommend some approaches over others? Um. The nice thing, I mean, Naomi makes the choice, so Naomi Milgram makes a choice. She has a lot of experience uh, working with architects and working with builders. Um, the great thing is I think that she's open to ch the changes that take place um, as long as she's aware of um, the timelines. This one was a little more challenging in terms of timelines because things did keep changing. But I think what's also good about from... I suppose from working with Naomi on the project, sh because she's built built a lot of things, often clients, I think, want to have everything in one project because they don't do it a lot. Because she's done a lot, um, she she wants everyone to be, to be a reflection of that architectural vision. So, yes, there are some restrictions, but they're pretty, pretty loose. I mean, basically it's giving us enough coverage or enough protection for, you know, 150 people, um, some shade, um, the opportunity to be able to do events, but we really don't put a lot more, uh, a, lot, a lot of other conditions on the architects. So from Naomi's perspective, I think it's very much how do we do something which allows an architect to present their vision of what their design or their, their, their architectural vision is and how does that, you know, fit into each year um, come up with a different a different approach, and then I suppose create um, a, an interesting process for all our collaborators, but also an interesting uh, an interesting new space or a, a, an interesting new type of architecture architecture for people to enjoy, and I suppose also create a dialogue about what design is and what design can be, um, and that difference is really interesting. It's amazing as a person who walks by here, um, seeing the last one come down uh, and be built, and then come through over a number of months and watch a new creation emerge in this wonderful garden space that we have, and then to sit here and hear how you guys all work together to do it. I just want to say, I love it, and thank you. <laughs> thank you. Okay. One more. It's more just uh, what treatment did the bamboo receive or what seasoning or what preparation did it have in India? Presumably it had something. Been, uh, no, the, the only treatment it got was fumigating to get it into the, to the country. So it was fumigated in India yep. and, 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 and it's probably the sort of least dramatic part of the whole story because, you know, day one we sort of thought, shit, we're going to bring bamboo from India. It'll never happen. We won't get into the country. It'll be a catastrophe. 
and it was the one thing that in the program that sort of just went seamlessly I think is that it, it seemed that the containers seemed to arrive in Australia got offloaded uh, one of the shipments we lost for a couple of days in Australia but really no, no problem so we've got some quite good photos of um, guys in India locking up the containers and with, with um, um, handkerchiefs over their mouth pumping some pretty exciting looking chemicals into the <laughs> containers and whether those those photos were the evidence that the um, uh, customs accepted or not, I don't know, but the fumigation certificates were accepted pretty much trouble free and so pleasantly surprised us. So so other than that and the drilling of the holes, it's it, it's pretty green bamboo, so it, it's it's going to move and it'll be quite interesting to watch it and, and see how it does behave in, uh, over Christmas and over the, over the warm weather. At the moment it's see, it's getting a good chance to season as slowly as you could hope for uh, in, in humid, moist, cool weather. Just another question. Is a RAP in any way interested in, uh, you know, it's precedent setting, obviously, building a bamboo structure in Australia and getting through all the permits and so on. Are they interested in uh, establishing this testing protocol for certifying bamboo in a structural application? Um, are we interested? Probably. Um, the, so, so I mentioned this earlier, the, the, the testing itself is already, um, so the protocol for testing, um, or some of the protocols for testing, are already codified, so there's an ISO standard. Um, it is um, it's prescriptive, but it's still relatively open. Um, so would we be interested in um, maybe refining that? Probably. Um, I mentioned Sebastian Kaminsky in our London office, who um, sits on a number of committees that um, that um, um, are tasked to, to progress the, um, I guess, the, the standardisation of, of use of bamboo. Um, so as an organisation, we're definitely we're definitely um, in in that space. Um, locally for Australia, yes. I mean, if we if we can if we can use bamboo structurally more more often, and if the the um, what we've learned on this project and the um, going convincing the Victorian Building Authority that we have a structure that um, certainly in its current form will stand up for the duration of the cultural event. Um, going to have to revisit that for the for the permanent case because as we've just mentioned the coating of the bamboo for example is is currently non-existent so it has no chance of standing up for 10 years um, just because the bamboo itself will, will d decay um, yeah I don't know if I, I've answered your question thank you very much for coming um, also uh, we should mention that uh, Part of the ongoing programs of events that we have are supported by the City of Melbourne, um, the State Government and ANZ, as well as many other philanthropic trusts um, and, and companies, which makes it possible for, do, for us to do all the events here for free. But, and also, I'd like to thank very much um, the panel, Tony Isaacson, John Knoll, Helen Wilman and Sam Ritston. Thank you. Thank you.